Welcome back to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Uh, we are a little rusty. I have Bob Ferrante, Chris Snee with me. It's been, what, 25 days since the last one? Something like that. So uh, it was a nice little hiatus. Uh, sometimes life gets in the way. Holidays. Uh, I had in-laws in town. Chris went to uh, beautiful Shreveport. He still seems really depressed and, and mopey from that. Uh, <laughs> just presumably that's why. Uh, we had Josh Newberg was, uh, and, and Josh will be joining us later. I forgot if I've said that already, but Josh, uh, you know, Josh was busy uh, in Orlando during the uh, during the Under Armour All America practice. So a lot of stuff going on. Tough to get everyone on the same schedule, but here we are. We're back. Hopefully, going to get more in a routine now here in the off season, especially with recruiting about to ramp up. Uh, and guys, there hasn't been much uh, that we've missed, I guess, in the past three weeks, other than you know hiring a defensive coordinator, offensive line coach, some recruiting stuff, some. Uh, some players declaring for the NFL draft, some stains, some bowl games. So we have a bunch of stuff to get into. Uh, so it'll probably be a longer episode, I'm imagining, uh, probably about an hour. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, we want to get in all that stuff. Um, we're going to kind of start with, with some of the coaching hires. We're going to go down uh, the list of what the state of the roster is right now. Then we'll bring in uh, Newberg around halfway through to talk about some of the latest uh, coaching stuff, some tidbits he has, and uh and some recruiting as well. So the body language here is great. Chris's arms are folded. Mine are folded. We're really happy to be here, guys. This is just fantastic. Uh, before we go into FSU stuff, let's congratulate uh, national champions. Uh, they had an amazing season. Um, I'm talking about UCF, of course, because they beat everyone on the damn schedule. So Homer got a homer. I mean, you know, if you guys want to, uh, to abide by the college football playoff committee that puts Mississippi State ahead of Florida State and doesn't value winning, and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, but... Anyways, that was a hell of a game last night. Uh, Alabama <laughs> goes to a true freshman quarterback, throws to a true freshman wide receiver, and what was an imp- impossible second along that they were on the verge of, of losing after being on the verge of winning in regulation. Um, you guys know that true freshmen can uh, can contribute on offense other than running back position. That's allowed in college football. The cool thing was Jimbo was in the building to actually see it firsthand, so he can't deny that it actually happens. I've, I've processed. It's it still, still boiling. Did you see? I'm just only talked to Bob about this one. Did you see the Michael Casagrande, um, the Alabama beat writer, uh, had a picture of of Jimbo on set and and with uh, with Gus Malzahn, and Jimbo was looking clearly at at the photographer as he's taking the picture. <laughs> just the daggers that he was shooting him. Did you see the picture? I did. That was good stuff, right? You're not one. You're not even gonna give me anything. I, I you're not even arms. <laughs> arms are still full. You mother. <laughs> I cover Willie Taggart in Florida State. <laughs> Let's talk about Willie Taggart uh, because there's obviously been a lot since uh, a lot of action on the coaching staff front since the last time we've we've talked. I'm gonna pull up what the current staff looks like. So as we're recording this on God, what day is it? Tuesday. This is Tuesday. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Tuesday all day. Um, they have three more roster spots, or sorry, uh, coaching spots still uh, still ready to go here that are still vacant. We'll get Newberg to talk about that in a little bit and kind of you know see what he he thinks is gonna how it's gonna shake out. But the staff is coming together. I think a little bit slower than some would like, but until you know recruiting picks back up at the end of the week, I think you're still okay. Uh, the big news. Let's start with Harlan Barnett from Michigan State. He was their co-defensive coordinator the last three years. Uh, has been at Michigan State for what, the better part of a decade. As a secondary coach, a really good pedigree, uh, and Michigan State's defense, despite being really young this this past season, was really good. Uh, number four in the S and P plus defensive rating, uh, top twenty in about every single you know yeah, regular statistical category. Uh, so yeah, on paper, uh, looks like a nice defensive coordinator. Hi, maybe not the guy that that they targeted right away, but I mean, as far as you know, it's an upgrade. 
I think Taggart really wanted Jim Levitt, and that was obvious from the beginning. And when it didn't happen, then you knew it was going to be kind of a prolonged search to find the right guy. But I think Harlan Barnett is a very good choice, a defensive back um, coach who is extremely well-respected for how he coaches and schemes. I think, um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a really good choice considering how competitive the environment is. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen one of the more competitive off-seasons as far as hiring coaches. Sure. A lot of SEC jobs have been open. Obviously, the Miami battle with Dugans, and we'll talk about that later. But this was a tough environment to hire Assistant coaches are being thrown crazy kind of money. Dave Aranda at LSU got two plus million dollars. <laughs> uh, Elko to Texas A and M. Yep. So for Florida State to come up with a very good hire mm-hmm. in this environment, I, I think that that speaks volumes about Willie Taggart, the staff he's building. It it seems to me that you've seen how this has kind of played out. That Willie thought this was going to be a little bit easier yes. than it's been. Uh, you know, some of the guys he wanted, you, you mentioned Levitt with Oregon, and I think we, we talked about this in the previous episode, but if not, and again, I'm kind of rusty here, but oh, Oregon made it really difficult for Willie to get some of the guys he wanted, and the only ones that really followed Willie were the Willie Lifers, the guys that he have been with him for a long time. Uh, so that was made difficult. Uh, well, Oregon overpaid. I wouldn't say made it difficult. They overpaid. He's well, not worth four and seven million. That's insane. No. Um, well, but if you look at the whole picture, I and mean, it was a double, you know, stick to to Willie to to one give Crystal Ball a head coaching job. That yeah, I think Crystal Ball is a good. But they did that on a cheap to afford to afford Levitt. So they took the money. the LSU approach it's with essentially co head coaches yeah. in a bastardized version. Yeah, and that seems like you're cutting, kind of cutting your nose to, to spite your face there. Um, yeah. But but there was certainly a little bit of a vendetta against Willie Taggart. Uh, well, yeah, the way I mean, that, but that's just not a, they, doesn't they seem like a great way to do that. FSU without getting into a bidding war. They just made the price so absurd. Yeah, that, you the know, FSU, FSU could. Walked. So, you know, and Bob mentioned Ron Dugans, who you know, a Tallahassee native, uh, FSU alum, uh, uh, really good track record as a recruiter, as a wide receiver coach. Uh, listen, that one's a little bit of egg on the face for Willie. I think that kind of shows that this hasn't, as Bob alluded to, this hasn't been necessarily an easy process uh, for Willie Taggart. He kind of thought, I think, that some pieces would fall into place a little bit easier than they have. That being said, I, I, it wasn't great because that was the guy that you targeted from the beginning. You courted him really, really strongly, fairly publicly, uh, and you don't get him is what it looks like. I don't think that's the end of the world, but that shows that this hasn't been necessarily smooth sailing. With that being said, I, I'm looking at the coaching staff right now. Starting with Harlan Barnett, you talk about Greg Fry. I mean, the positions that you really thought FSU, like, let's go, let's do it this way, guys. If FSU, if I said to you before the offseason, before when Jimbo was still on staff and said, okay, he's making coaching changes. I can give you three, three positions, three areas you have to upgrade right now off the top of your head. Don't look at my sheet. What would what Defensive would three? Defensive coordinator, offensive line coach, and then it probably would be receiver coach. Uh, Bob. Yeah, offensive line coach would be number one or two on my book, and defensive coordinator, the same thing, one or two. I had linebacker over wide receiver, but I think wide receiver is probably more public. But but yeah, I think those. You know, if I'm only giving you three, if I'm giving you four, then both of those are in there. And let's be honest, Bob really wanted a special teams coach, and he got that. He got it too. That's all we get. Alonzo Hampton. Happy Tenth Coach Day. Yeah, it's about time. It's Bob, finally happened. Bob had that story in the can to write like a month ago. He was ready, ready to go for it. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But but yeah. So for the for to practice kind of that theory there. So if you look at defensive coordinator Harlan Barnett, it's an upgrade over Charles Kelly. They basically were getting the same production over a three year span, uh, but with you know Charles Kelly having immensely better 
talent to work with than, than Harlan Barnett did. But the upside there is greater. Uh, I think you hit that. Um, offensive line coach, Greg Fry, you get younger, you get a guy who can recruit. Trickett could recruit. Um, but yeah. uh, <laughs> could, Trickett, he could recruit. He's he sort of allergic to really high-end offensive tackles. He could re- well, let me rephrase it. He could recruit his area well better than he could probably recruit yeah. his position. <laughs> Trickett wasn't like – a detriment on the recruiting path, but at his position, I felt like he recruited worse than he recruited for players who weren't at his position but were in his area. Yeah, yeah. And it blew Which my is mind. weird. It drove me berserk watching FSU falter at offensive tackle recruiting. Mm-hmm. Over and over. Because um, yeah. there's no excuse for that at FSU. No, no, they can't be. a pass pro system more than likely, mm-hmm. especially in the past, and you're going to develop guys, you're going to put them in the pros, and you can't get high-end offensive tackles. Roger Johnson is... The example of the one he got, and truthfully, Roderick wasn't developed very well. It's almost like they got—no, it wasn't. He wasn't. The offensive line hasn't been good for the last three or four years. Um, it's almost like they got too cute with the evaluation of thinking they can kind of fool fools. Yeah, he, he, I think he rubbed a lot of kids and their parents and their coaches the wrong way. And mm-hmm. you know, it's when you're recruiting those really tough end five-star type kids, it's all about relationships. The reason a kid like Jackson Carmen is willing to spurn hometown Ohio State to go to Clemson because he really likes to be one Clemson, mm-hmm. and Trickett wasn't about that. Trickett wasn't going to kiss ass, and he wasn't going to be that. And, hey, whatever. But at some point, you got to recruit high end offensive tackles. Yeah, you have to at least sprinkle that in there. You got to get some blue chips to work with. If you want to take the Cole Minshew, like that's fine. I'm okay with that. Like that's that's cool. You should do that. Get guys that you like that you're in love with. Blend it with you know. Blue chip talent. That's kind of how this yeah. works. Less Abdul Bellows, more talented yep. offensive tackle. So, but can we agree then that Greg Fry on paper is in a is oh Bob who has a landline now? I'll let, I'll let Bob run and do that in disgrace. But can we agree Greg Fry upgrade at offensive line? Yes, I, I think when you're checking off all the boxes, recruiting, development, all those things. Yes, yeah. he he is. I I think Trick is obviously a very talented offensive line coach. He's extremely well respected. In the coaching community, but I think Greg Fry is a better fit for what FSU needs at that position. So that's that's uh, I agree, and he's got the we'll talk about that. But he's got the Florida ties as a recruiter in the Clearwater. He went to high school in that area, basically was raised there. Um, and he's an aggressive guy, like he yeah, not in the well, he probably is as a coach, but I'm talking more from a recruiting perspective. He is a guy that likes to get out there and pursue top end kids and compete with major schools, mm-hmm. which is which is good. And that's something I think that the last. Yeah, you know, maybe cycle and a half, two years at FSU was kind of lacking was those 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 dogs on the recruiting trail. Um, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on Harlan Barnett. That's an upgrade over Charles Kelly, right? Uh, it kind, yeah, it I, kind of sounded like they had to describe Charles Kelly, but who can who can coach? Who can develop guys? Better yeah, but he's a good guy, and people, yeah. you know, yeah, the it, rave reviews I about Barnett. Didn't were know a great deal about him when mm-hmm. his name popped up in the search, and I talked to a couple of people tied to Michigan State and tied to the Midwest and tied to you know programs that face Michigan State. And the consistent theme was he takes corners and develops them, takes DBs in general and develops them. As a coordinator, he's very cool, calm, and collected, and guys know what they're supposed to do, and he has results. He's proven results. And as a recruiter, he's apparently a guy that just connects well with people. He's fairly calm, but he's aggressive, but he targets who he wants, who he believes fit what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And he does a good job of really pursuing them and laying it out well for them. So I, I think he's a good hire, and he's a guy that was sort of out of left field, I think, in this search. I don't think going in that Willie Taggart had a list that had Harlan Barnett you know, no. after Levin and Leonard. 
I think it was more he reached that point and started to speak to some people, and that's the name that kept coming up. Yeah, I think I think the way you described learning about Harlan Burnett was kind of similar. Obviously, not the exact same, but the same for Willie Taggart was that wasn't the guy that was immediately on the radar. Um, and you do a little research and you start seeing kind of everything checks the boxes with him. Like, okay, like he has, you know, he's coached some pretty good defenses. He has um, a really good reputation with the kids he has developed. Like, did you see, like, I mean, the, I, I wasn't planning on it. We did, a, you know, people wanted to see all the tweets in one area. So we did one of those fun slideshows that you guys love so much to click through. But the reaction from people who played for him was pretty cool. Like, I thought that was telling. You had a lot of kids. Um, guys that weren't even defensive backs really saying what they slam dunk higher for Florida State. They were okay with him leaving Michigan State. They liked that guy so much uh, they were okay with it. Not in the sense like you saw some Michigan fans saying, ah, get out of here, Greg Fry, but that's also, you know, no one likes their offensive line coach. That's how that works. You guys, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys love Greg Fry higher right now. You're going to hate it in a few years, but it's still going to be an upgrade. This is how offensive line coaches work uh, with fan bases. Anyways, Harlan Burnett, I think, you know, one other thing, not on Greg Fry, I think we have an offensive line coach that's coming in that's on the same page as the head coach. Yeah. And uh, underspoken on storyline over the years was that I'm not ever truly convinced that Trickett and Jimbo entirely agreed about the theory of the offensive line. Yeah, we were, it was talked about, and I know it's been spoken about, I'm sure on podcasts and even written about, Jimbo was always about big-bodied offensive linemen. Trickett was always about zone blocking, quicker mm-hmm. feet, strong guys. They kind of met in the middle, but I don't know if they ever were in full agreement. Well, that, and, that's not the best thing when one guy's running the offense and the other one's running the most important part of the offense. And and to my understanding, is that Trickett had full. By the end, he had full. He had a full reign on what the offensive line was going to do, but I don't know if it meshed, meshed into what Jimbo wanted to accomplish. I think that's your yeah. point, Chris. And that yeah, that creates a weird. You look at the bodies that FSU was recruiting and the scheme they're trying to run. It didn't really make sense. These yeah, big maulers. See a left guard try to pull, and he'd be about a day late getting to the spot. Cole Minshew, not. I mean, I, I like him, but he's not a guy that you're pulling. You know, that that's fleet of foot necessarily. I mean, more of a mauler, downhill kind of guy. So with Willie Taggart, we're kind of. Under the assumption it's going to bring that Gulf Coast type of type of deal to uh, to Florida State, which is you know a lot of uh, power concepts blocking up front with spread option stuff uh, formation wise and passing game concepts. Uh, Fry, I believe, is pretty malleable based on his past. I think at Indiana they did a lot of zone stuff. At Michigan they tried to, what they call it, man ball or something, which is basically the power gap blocking. I don't know. It's a little bit above my pay grade, but it seems like he can coach different <laughs> seems like he can coach different stuff. And uh, and as long as the two are on the same page and it seems like they're going to be, I think that's probably pretty a pretty good sign and will be different than what it's been the last couple of years at, at Florida State. Um, real quick with, with Barnett before we jump to the other you know, coaches have been hired. Um, his scheme, as far as my understanding is it seems like they ran like a lot of cover four, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of four three front stuff. A lot of four three stuff. Not a super aggressive blitzer. Now he'll his guys will be a bl- uh, aggressive. You're not going to see a lot of you know, shading and stuff up front, which Florida State did a lot. They're going to be just go after the quarterback. Uh, they do a lot of press coverage. It did seem like Harlan tried to mix things up a little bit more in the last year or so. Get away from the the cover four uh, that that. Michigan State's done for a long time and done to deal with success. But, again, it seems like a guy is going to be pretty flexible, but that does have some some base concepts that he's going to put in there. But I think Florida State cornerbacks are really going to enjoy uh, playing for him. They're going to do a yeah. chance to do a lot of man coverage and a lot of just press, and you're just trying to shade the guy in front of you, and that's 
fun for a corner. I think he walks into a relationship with a lot of guys in the secondary who fit what he wants to do, too. Yes. Well, that's... Like, I mean, I think it's a mutually beneficial thing for both parties. What was it? Well, it was last year when they did the, the overhaul of the defense midway through the season in 2016. Sorry, not 17. And that was the one thing that you know, Tavares McFadden said. I'm trying to think of the other cornerbacks. Everyone wanted to play man-to-man and just that, that kind of defense and not the, the pattern matching, which is more reactionary. They just wanted to just go up and, and beat up someone and, and that once they did that, it kind of worked. And this past season, again, it was more of a, a middle ground and just didn't really work out all that well. Um, but, yeah, I think that there's a need for, or at least a desire for the cornerbacks and the guys that, that Chris said that Barnett is going to coach are going to enjoy the scheme that he's going to employ. Um, a linebacker coach, you get Raymond Woody. I, I think pretty much anyone with a pulse was going to be better than Bill Miller by the end. He just, that, that unit was... Didn't hit its potential in any of the few seasons that, that Bill Miller was here. Watching him coach uh, and the limited opportunities we had to, to see uh, practice open was it was difficult. They just moved at a snail's pace. Uh, and I, I'd, I've heard enough feedback from people that were closely there that, that said that there was just not a grasp, great grasp of, of knowing what needed to be done in that defensive scheme. And I think the results more or less showed on the field. So Raymond Woody... Uh, who is a Willie Taggart guy through and through, um, I think that represents an upgrade. I think most people would represent an upgrade. I think you'll get at least average production now consistently out of that position, and you get a guy who can recruit. Um, Dante Pempleton at running back. Again, that's another Willie Taggart guy. He is only 38 years old, so younger, pretty good recruiter. Uh, Telly Lockett, tight ends coach, uh, can recruit Miami with the best of them. Uh, he was Dalvin Cook's high school coach. Uh, who else did he coach at Miami Central? Irby. I think Devon Irby. Yeah, Irby. Uh, Freeman. Uh, I can't remember if he was definitely Devontae's yeah, or not. I don't want to state that incorrectly, but, I mean, he had a great deal of talent all yeah. through there when Dalvin was there, and they won a couple of state titles. And, and they also had him. He's well-respected down there. He knows how to handle. He's street smart in that sense down there. Mm-hmm. And he's already after. I mean, he offered 2019 receiver yesterday, Frank Ladson. So the offer came from Telly. Kid immediately knows who Telly is. Mm-hmm. You know, just because he's been at Oregon State for a couple of years, he hasn't been buried. He's still very well known down there. And I don't think FSU will miss a step in South Florida. Personally. And so let's go off. What, so what everyone just mentioned, including Odell Higgins, who's returned. I don't need to really, you know, go into yeah, how Al- important Alonzo that is. Hampton's Alonzo and. and Bobby excited about that. He'll probably be the special teams guy. Maybe able to do some other stuff. He can coach DBs, but now he'll be the special teams guy. Very well respected guy in yep. Georgia. Cut his teeth at high school level a few times. Even during his college time, he went back to the high school level for a couple of years mm-hmm. in Tifton. Um, yeah, he's well liked. He he's a coach's coach kind of guy. So he's he's going to walk on campuses and have some level of respect mutually with those guys that he's dealing with. Plus, I'm interested to see with the 10th coach. I don't think FSU will be the only one that might employ this, but the possibility of them being an on-road recruiter in season a couple days every week here mm-hmm. and there because, you know, you don't need a special teams coach at every single practice. You just need special teams to be well-implemented, well-executed, and for it to matter, you know, in big games like your season kickoff in a dome. Yeah, I think it's interesting. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about <laughs> But Logan Tyler was tweeting yesterday about Damian Harris being seen on a punt block, like, of the horrors of that <laughs> That, to me, says, ah, I don't think it was on a punter. I think it might have been on the scheme. But, hey, that's just me. I thought you processed what... I'm very processed. I'm just saying special teams was an abomination for FSU at times. It can't get any worse. I think it will get better if somebody has that as 
let's not say their sole focus, but it, it will be 50% or more of their time will be focusing on specific areas of special teams and improvement. Yeah. The other thing about, about Willie, and he mentioned, I think, pretty early on that he wanted not guys with egos, guys that could work really well together. Mm-hmm. And it's not just he's hiring friends, but he's hiring guys who he knows he can have a good working relationship. You know, these are often guys who are sleeping in the office and working together long hours. Mm-hmm. It's a tough job. But he's hiring guys that I think will have good chemistry. Also, at least three of the guys, Woody Hampton and Lockett, have recent high school coaching experience. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of, I think, guys who were humbled by working those long hours as high school coaches for essentially what is a coach's stipend. It's basically a minimum wage per hour when you calculate what high school coaches get you're not getting enough for the hours. And I think those guys have Especially paid their in Florida. dues. They've paid their dues, often in Florida with the low pay. And it, it's really going to be interesting. Now they can use those connections, those resources, people they've met through the years to help make Florida State better, but also kind of further their coaching career. It's, it's kind of a nice way to see coaches develop. Well, let, let's talk about those connections, and especially to Florida. Um, one, you know, people were asking for us to, to grade the staff. I'm not ready to quite do that because the staff's not complete. I, I do think, and we'll talk about this with Josh, I do think they need a, a couple more seasoned coaches. It's a really nice young staff right now, 44 years old. You're almost 10 years younger than what the previous staff was. I think you do want guys with a little bit more experience in some areas, maybe to oversee the offense, uh, to help out uh, to help out on especially in that area because that's going to be a lot of pressure on Willie Taggart because he's going to be calling the plays primarily and working with the quarterbacks primarily right. what we believe right on the flip side on defense I think you need somebody that helps lighten the load on uh Herlin yeah correct you're going to get another you, secondary yeah you know, I mean Hampton obviously can help there he has experience in the back end but probably truly hiring like eight corners or a safeties coach and allowing Harlan to deal with the other. We saw with under Charles Kelly, well documented on this podcast that he was doing too much. So they asked him to do way too much, even though they had some really good GAs and, and you know, quality control guys helping him out still had way too much in game that they were putting on him. Um, but, but so anyway, so the staff not complete, but looking at what it is right now, what we know it, it you know, with the majority of that staff filled, uh, one, I mentioned younger, but but two, I, I think the thing that, that strikes me is the ties to Florida with the recruiting. Um, yeah. And you're going to see that. Chris mentioned Telly Lockett, and that, you know, he's going to immediately make you a contender for just about anyone in South Florida. going to at least give you a puncher's chance, especially in inner city Miami. Guys, it's so hard to recruit that area. That's, you know. Uh, he understands <laughs> relationships. He understands yeah. how the people function. He understands the people that are down there, especially some of the long timers. And he's capable of getting in the door. And that's not an easy thing to do. Can you speak no. on that, Chris? You know how hard that is. It takes years for some coaches to get their foot in South there. Florida is a different environment. Yep. You, a lot of the people down there are not very trustworthy, mm-hmm. or they are only trustworthy of certain people. And I think Telly is a guy that has that trust factor with mm-hmm. people. Yep. And down there, it's all about, you know, high school coaches matter and the kids matter, but it's about, you know, mm-hmm. seven-on coach or a trainer or the person that's attached to that kid that you really got to get in with. And that's true in the recruiting game as a whole. But it's amplified in South Florida. Mm-hmm. I think Telly completely understands that dynamic. And, you know, FSU's always had success in South Florida, and it's important that that continues. They've got some people down there that are very vocal and supportive of them. And I think Telly's a guy that they're going to easily get behind and yep. help in those efforts. And to Bob's point, not only, I mean, you mentioned his ties because he's from them, he's coached high, he coached at Northwestern um, and won at big time there, and at Miami Central and won big time there. I mean, he's not only known. Uh, but he, he's known intimately by the coaches, it's not just people down from there. It's not like he's just from South Florida. He's coached there. He has guys on staffs 
that worked with him that he's worked with. James <clears throat> Cook came to campus because of Telly Lockett. Yep. James Cook didn't intend to come to FSU. Truthfully, I don't think he really wanted to take that visit, but he did because of Telly Lockett. Yep. Speaks that, volumes. That, that's, yeah. you know, an example of yep. the impact he can have with South Florida kids. Sorry, my voice is going in and out here. Still uh, rallying from the Jags game on, on Sunday. Um, Greg Fry, Clearwater area. Mm-hmm. Um, Harlan Barnett has experience in the Tampa area. Uh, Raymond Woody, obviously, down you know from from Tampa and south, kind of on the yeah. Naples and, and and Southwest Florida. Pimps on the other coast. I think he's comfortable <laughs> in Orlando. Definitely knows the Space Coast. Um, and what about Alonzo? Alonzo's a Georgia guy for the most. You said Tiffany, which is he also I mean, has Louisiana ties. He went to yeah. I believe Louisiana Monroe for school, and he worked in Arkansas. I don't think FSU's all of a sudden going to become popular in Arkansas. <laughs> But, you know, those other two matter, Louisiana, yeah. Georgia, I think, especially Georgia. It's South Georgia working in Tipton, stuff like that. I think it's important for FSU to have a presence there, and I think he'll help with that. So with a clear – I mean, that, that – Willie hasn't come out, and Willie Tiger hasn't come out and said that this is a priority, but the actions speak pretty loud there. You, know, you still got Odell, who keeps the connection to Virginia. That's been so beneficial. Yeah. He's popular in Atlanta. He's comfortable in Jacksonville. You know, local recruiting is always one of those things you just kind of figure out. You're going to have yeah. somebody that can go to Tallahassee to Pensacola. And truthfully, FSU needs to do a better job going west of Tallahassee and being in it with one or two kids every year. There's not a lot of talent going west on yeah. I-10, but there's always one or two really good uh, ones. And there's enough to you know, flip over some luggage. Like Stokes, yeah. Alex Leatherwood, which was a recruitment FSU they never completely had a, butchered. Never had a chance. Jacob yeah. Copeland, which, you know, truthfully... Personally, I think it's a recruitment that FSU never needed to get involved in. I don't think he's a guy you bring into program dynamic, but he's talented enough to mm-hmm. deserve attention. You know, guys like that, that they need to be in with every mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, so as we look at the the landscape of college football, and especially in the heart of it in the southeast here, Alabama's going to do what Alabama's going to do for the foreseeable future. Until Nick retires. Yeah. Buckle up, Georgia is going to be playing for national titles for I think is going to be this. I think they're a little bit ahead of schedule. Yeah, and they're going to lock that state down. Yeah, they're all in. Yep, Clemson. Uh, you know what Clemson's going to be doing for the foreseeable future. Uh, I mean, yeah. That, I mean, that, LSU is, isn't about to let no. Louisiana be wide open. And you know, I mean, yeah, people are going to you know Florida and Miami. I think. Both have their best coaching situations they've had in a while. You know, Mark Rick's going to do. He's going to be competent, and you're you're not going to be able to rely on just straight up incompetence there yeah. now. And Mullins, you yeah. know, drastic improvement over Matt uh, Williams looks like from it. the standpoint of he's not a weird ass dude. And you know, UCF's a powerhouse now too. So we got we got that going for us. Um, Who's your coach now? Uh, the Josh Heupel. No, I'm not thrilled at it. Right. No. Yeah. It was fun about last year. Yeah. Um, you enjoy those people asking you. <laughs> but but I so I say <laughs> shit. So I say <laughs> all of that uh, with the approach of of it's going to be tough to recruit the southeast. Getting coaches that are super familiar with Florida, still the best state to recruit, you know, per capita. You could argue Georgia, but Florida's got more of them, and they got they got more guys, uh, and they got more speed. It's the best state to recruit. Focusing your your you're putting all your effort into recruiting that state, recruiting it better than anyone is a maximization of resources right now. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to outspend Georgia or Alabama. Um, you just that's not how it's gonna work at Florida State. But what you can do is give yourself a chance to get the best kids in that state all the time. Going to Tampa to do that, and and then mixing it with what Willie Taggart wants to do, which is a fast offense, a spread based offense. You are looking, that's what Scott Frost did do at UCF very well, was maximize that talent that he had. 
Um, you're going to see that at, at Florida State with what, what Willie Taggart's doing scheme-wise on both offense and defense now. It's going to be simple, what do you say, lethal simplicity. Uh, so mixing of the Florida speed in the area that he's, are, he's clearly focusing on with um, – you know, what he wants to run on offense and defense, I, mean, I think he is putting himself in a position to maximize uh, the resources at his disposal. And that's if you're you know, a fan of a football team, that's all you can ask your coach to do is to give you a chance. And I think on paper, he, he, he's doing that. This is the most talent he's had to play with, honestly. You know, with apologies to Oregon, which has recruited extremely well into California, you know, this is Florida State and compared to South Florida level of talent and Western Kentucky level of talent, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. So Willie has a lot more tools to play with. Obviously, he's got to be disappointed with the juniors, so many of them leaving school early, so he doesn't have an Auden Tate. And, you know, that's that's a real big challenge, and we'll get into those those positions that are going to be kind of thin like receiver. But Willie has a lot of options at his disposal. He's got two quarterbacks with experience. You know, recruiting will be... Even more difficult, I think, with Mullen and Rick, those guys mm-hmm. really have strong connections into, you know, Mullen being a former Florida assistant, Rick knowing Miami being a Boca Raton guy. That's going to be tough. But Willie's assembled a staff, like you said. He, he's got guys who have kind of covered the major population centers of the state. Mm-hmm. They've got it covered to where they're going to know the prospects and be able to like Chris said, be in the running, at least be in the running to bring that guy to Tallahassee. Yep. And I know FSU's coming off a 7-6 and six season, but let's not act like that roster is 7-6. and six. No. That roster is no. better than 7-6. and six. And even with the departures, they should still be better than 7-6. and six. So he's walking into a kind of a ready-made situation where he can have success. It's not a rebuild. You know, what do you they, say, retooling? They, they need to hit on some spots, obviously. Receiver with Auden going pro mm-hmm. is a very deathly thin position. O-line has some, you know... Shrimps that need to be taken off the barbie. Um, you know, guys that just aren't going to cut it. I think the O-line's one of those areas you see some thinning out of, maybe not immediately, but within the first 12 months. But, you know, D-line's still a talented bunch, not very deep at end, especially if Wilkerson does go. Um, secondary's very talented. Linebackers, I think, has some talent that hasn't really been used effectively. And then the offense, you know, running back group's loaded. Quarterback group is young with an injured guy coming back. And... Yeah, tight end group is kind of thin, but who the hell cares? Like, I mean, tight end is a position where FSU's way over-recruited in recent years with lack of production to show for it. So I'm not overly concerned about that. I think the key for FSU is find some immediate success next year, do a great job with the 2019 class, set yourself up for the future run. Yeah, yeah. you want to get something, get people excited, you're talking about 10 wins or something like that, I think would be a positive step and, and get your – basically get your – Paint a clear picture. Yeah, exactly. You get your identity in set. Um, well, I mean, the roster, let's, let's now transition from coaching to what the roster, Chris just kind of went down there with the guys who've left. Um, I do want to write something on kind of the roster management or mismanagement that, that was done under the previous regime. The uh, lack of processing. That's certainly part of it. Uh, the lack, I mean, the recruiting misses at quarterback, uh, are going to have a possible trickle effect for a few years. That's something that Willie Taggart has to uh, account for now, and he's put in a bad situation. You mentioned the tight end and the overabundance of guys there with lack of production, wide receiver. There's a lot of different areas uh, where they missed on for a few years in a row, and that's now coming back to, to, to bite them, um, maybe more prominently than I had even anticipated, uh, but but it's there. So anyways, let's look at the guys who we know for sure are leaving, who 
have announced it since the last time we had the, the podcast. I think we knew Derwin James already. Josh Sweat was kind of rumored at that point. That Not a surprise that he missed the bowl game. Uh, the guys who have kind of announced recently after the bowl game are start off tight end Ryan Izzo. I think that one hurts a little bit more than most. That may have been the one that they that Willie wanted the most. I think people look at what Willie does and look, oh, that's a spread offense and it's not needed. And he uses tight ends a fair amount. I mean, production-wise, receiving-wise, like it's going to be about what it was under Jimbo, you know, 300, you know, 300 receiving yards or something like that in a season. Um, but a big part, he does a lot of power blocking. Like he wanted Izzo. Make no doubt, you know, make no mistake about that. Kind of sucks for Maven Saunders. Like if you if you had told him like you're going to get to get you know a, an offense that maybe fits you a little bit more and you know, Jimbo's going to be gone and Tim Brewster's going to be gone. I wonder if he had, would have gone to to Kansas. But anyways, Ryan Izzo declares, uh, and I think that one, you know, I think that one hurt a little bit. I think that's the guy that Willie wanted to retain. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Trey McKitty's a guy that can step in there and do some things. My main issue with tight end is over the last several years they've had five to six on the roster and production has been minimal. Yeah. And some of that is this year Izzo was used a lot as blocker, but it's just like. Good Lord, you're investing so much scholarship for so little production. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it was didn't make sense. It, Maven Saunders, uh, I don't think was used properly. I uh, know, you know, the coaches that were there, you know, previously working with him would say he wasn't a great practice player. I mean, he probably wasn't, but sometimes, man, just put your athlete in a position to make a play, see what happens. I don't think that happened enough. But anyways, uh, yeah. So you have Trey McKitty is pretty much the option there. You now went from being probably overstacked at tight end to now where you're going to be a little bit on the the shorter side. You have Trey McKitty, you got Alexander Marshall, and you have um, uh, Pop, uh, Pop, so as Upshur, Pop Upshur, uh, Nazir, I can't pronounce the first name, I kind of hate names, Nazir Upshur, who I don't know if he fits in super well with, with what Willie wants to do, more of an H-back type of guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, tight end, based on the recruiting that we've seen so far with Willie Taggart, they've offered at least a couple guys, so one kid from Sacramento, I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. Yeah, um, he, the... Oregon, or he's Oregon, he, or he's an Oregon commit. Yeah. He told me recently he's not going to visit. No, okay. So yeah. I'm. I believe there's a couple of guys that are evaluating. A guy like Matt Alamo is a kid that was committed to Pitt that they haven't yet offered, but I believe they're taking a look at on film. They're mm-hmm. doing a lot of film evaluation right now at a lot of positions: receiver, offensive line, tight end, or three. That I know they're looking at a lot of kids. And. And that may be a position that you see them. I think Willie is kind of Willie Tiger has made it clear that he doesn't want to reach. He wants to kind of focus on on numbers, um, or focus on quality over numbers. But you may have to kind of take a tight end just to have a body. Um, but anyways, so let, let so that's you know Izzo. I think was the guy they really wanted. Auden Tate uh, declares, and that's not a huge surprise. I mean, you look at the skill set: six foot five, moves really well. Can you know was. Yeah. Do you think the ball game is the reason he declared the three touchdowns, strong performance on the day? I, I think it was a tight decision. I think that's I do too. over the top. I, I do too. I think it was something that he was they, – they didn't know what he was going to do going into that. You know, Plus, he's fairly healthy. He feels pretty good. I thought he. I thought they had a chance of keeping. I think they had a, thought they had a chance of keeping because he's a guy that legitimately, if you do keep him and he has a full healthy season in that he offense, he, he's a he's a potential first or second round draft. Yeah, pick. I, I was comparing what I think he's his potential is is like Javon Walker's last year at FSU. If you remember that, he was just a, such a central key piece, big touchdown maker, guy that they look to early and often in games. And I think he ended up being what a certain, second round draft pick. I don't remember where he went, but I believe it was Green Bay, fairly high. But Javon's a guy that, you know, that extra year, and he was a Juco, if I recall correctly, but Auden obviously isn't. But that additional year, really, the stats is what put him over top and turned him into such a, 
you know, popular guy. And I, I think Auden will impress people. I think he'll have a fairly good combine, and I certainly think he'll do well in the interview portion. So yeah. I don't think he made a bad decision, but I think he could have come back and really had a monstrous year. I think a year would have helped him, but I, I don't think it's a bad I think he, like, if he gets drafted in the fourth or fifth round, like you're still going to impress people in camp, like start a year early. I mean, he came from a really polished family. Parents were both uh, both athletes, uh, both well, you know, well-educated and, and um so I thought maybe that would be a reason, like to kind of you know stay and finish off you know, college, and but you know I, I think it's a good, dis- I mean it's a fine decision for him. I, I don't think there's an issue that does leave FSU really thin at wide receiver though, um, especially with the big wide receivers, Keith Gavin, uh, Bobby wrote about Tamarian Terry as being a possible guy who could benefit from the you know the West Coast kind of passing attack uh, using bigger bodies, quick uh, for his size. I mean there's there's bodies there. George Campbell if he gets healthy, I mean I think that's kind of still up in the air at this point, um, but not a lot of. Know, real proven experience outside Nikon Murray and you know, we've seen in his career he does some really spectacular things and then kind of will fade and drift away uh, and then DJ Matthews is the only other wide receiver on the roster currently so that's going to be what we'll bring when we have Josh on we'll let Chris and, and Josh riff about the uh, the wide receiver recruiting that's going to be huge down the down the stretch there's but. roughly 33 Five thirty-three, somewhere in that ballpark, top one hundred wide receivers that did not sign any early signing. Well, that works out well for for Florida F- State. I think FSU is currently evaluating film on roughly thirty-three <laughs> to thirty-five wide receivers. Yeah, they're going to need well, about three or four guys in this class of that position. Yeah. I don't. I don't think they're going to be shy if they think a guy can come in and help them. And they're going to look at different sizes and different kind of traits. Like I don't think they're simply looking for a big guy. Or a slot guy. I think they're looking for just guys. Who yeah, are good. just just someone at yeah. this point. Yeah. Uh, how, well, we'll get into the recruiting stuff. But uh, Tavares McFadden declares. Uh, listen, I think if you're Florida State, I, I know a lot of people on our message board are like, "Yeah, good riddance." Uh, you would take him with one more year and see what you can get out of them with a new cornerback coach, new defensive back coach. But you know, uh, Chris is, doesn't agree. I, I think you take the raw talent and see what you get. insanely talented and will probably be a really good pro, but I think T-Mac has been ready to be a pro since last season. Since last season? Well, since 2016. Crazy. So, goes from eight interceptions. So pack your bags. Go get ready. Go make your money. Good luck to you. Like, I'm not wishing any ill will on him, but I think it's mutually beneficial. He went from having eight interceptions. But the interceptions did in some of the deficiencies. No, that's last. true. It did. But I'm still saying eight. Some of those uh, are fluky, yeah. but eight. Yeah. Uh, and he had a you know how many he had this having, year? Zero. <laughs> it's just crazy. Unless I'm wrong, but I'm never wrong, guys. So he had went from eight to zero. Uh, yeah, the body language was, and the punt returning was really, really weird. Uh, Not his fault. That was a dumbassery of Jimbo Fisher. To I like, processed Jimbo! I did, but that man, come on. <laughs> you know, Jimbo was watching the Independence Ball like one more time. Put T Mac back there. <laughs> I'm just going to keep throwing stuff out to get Chris to break and show that he hasn't processed him. You, it's fun. It, you don't Do get you over on a BC B- game. The punt return to BC game. Yes. The tool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Jesus Christ. Like, literally. Well, that was a, it, that was a straw that broke the There were the a lot of people back. that hadn't drank in years that watched the BC game and immediately became alcoholics again. I'm just saying. It, Man, the that, craziest thing that about that, that, that whole... It did not take a football guru to see that dude back there and be like, all right, he's not comfortable. Like People were saying it before he was botching stuff. It was stuff. a stubborn ass being a stubborn ass. Come on. I mean, Jesus. The only person in the room who thought T-Mac should be back there, including T-Mac, was Jimbo Fisher. Nobody else on earth thought it made an ounce of freaking sense. I don't think T-Mac thought it was a great idea by the end. <laughs> Poor I mean, guy. Um, all right. So awesome. anyways... Yeah, yeah, really, really process. It's like the you're gonna just start dating the opposite of your ex. It's all that's gonna happen. You're just gonna try to replicate this relationship. No, but I, I, 
I let go of a vast majority of things that happened in 2017 to make the end of the fall ended. But the T Mac punt return thing is gonna stay with me for years to come. It just I'm gonna, make any... I'm gonna wake up with night sweats one night thinking T Mac's back there returning a punt in a drink. Just it's gonna happen. It's gonna be awful. This is fucking. Stupid. And I'm gonna call Bob to immediately talk about how they now have a special teams coach. Woo! <laughs> All right. Back right now that we know of DeMarcus Christmas. Uh, listen, I think that one was so. If you went down the guys, we take out our cross off Derwin James, Josh Sweat. We knew they were gone, right? Izzo Tate, uh, and I thought DeMarcus Christmas was right there with those two as far as the underclassmen that could go of, of getting them back. That was important based on not just talent, the way the depth chart kind of plays out. He was really, really good this season. Uh, actually, I think you look at the the roster on defense. He's the best defensive player coming back. Um, was kind of didn't have a ton of tackles. I think only twenty. That dude hasn't missed a tackle in two seasons. I think he's only missed one his entire career. He's gone like a thousand snaps with missing just one tackle. Uh, super athletic, plays hard. Guy from Bradenton. I wonder if that had something to do with you know, buying into Willie Taggart pretty quickly. Now, that's what's tough when a new coach comes in is to try to get the guys who have had you know uh, either been burnt by the previous regime or just are ready. You know, I mean. Convincing guys to buy into your system so early when they're not going to be there long term is tough. To convince Demarcus Christmas to come back was really, really big. I think Demarcus is never going to be a vocal leader, but I think he's no. a guy that will set a tone in weight training and stuff like that. Yep. He is a guy that's dedicated to that. What stuff. was the What was the game where he went like forty yards down the field to make it? Was it Louisville? I was just trying to think of that. I think it was I Louisville. Think it was where I can, he pursued I, the play. Yeah, I can remember the play. Um, yeah, I think guys like him, Levante Taylor, and maybe even Hamza will be guys that will be kind of the leadership group going into the offseason. Big Marv, I think. Um, those are guys that we talked about during the season when they lost, like they cared. Like we, I saw Hamza crying after the NC State game. I saw Big Marv crying after it because my like those guys like profoundly cared. That matters. Uh, speaking of profoundly caring, Jacquez Patrick, that dude. Care. Yeah. You, I mean, he talk I, about talk I about think a he shit. Should go pro. Yeah, I do too. I think he's one of the guys that he doesn't make R- a lot of sense backs, to say. Go get paid. You only have so many yeah. miles on your legs, and I don't think Patrick's a guy that comes back and has some kind of different monstrous year. He might be healthy throughout the whole year, and the stats may pave out that way. But I don't think you're going to see an insane jump in what he can do. No, I don't I think either. it's very well known what the heck he is yeah. as a player. The fact that he showed – we had a conversation after the Alabama game saying he needs to run more physically. And I was always kind of on – I've liked Jacquez. I've covered him some high school. But, yeah, and, and even after the Alabama game, I was disappointed. I think I was one of the last few left. It's like, I think he could still run tough. And then he, he did. You're right. He, yeah. he did. Um, he did a lot of things well. Caught the ball pretty well. He passed pros really well. Like, listen, there's a place for him in the NFL. And if he comes back, awesome. That's more value in the backfield for them. Yeah, that's that, going to be the strength And that gives offense. you – you mentioned identity. That's – But uh, I, I I still expect him to go pro. I'm truthfully surprised that hasn't happened yet. I, I don't know. I, I think he, he may, he, I think he may stay. He's cut of the cloth where coming back wouldn't shock me. Either, yeah, that's what, I think he may stay. He handles school well and he's mature and – he kind of enjoys it. Like, he's not, uh, you know, some guys just want to get the hell out there three years and out. I don't think he's that type of guy. I agree. I think he stays. Um, well, I think I think there's a better, I think if I would say right now, I'd say 55% chance he stays. Who knows? Um, by the time on the, the opposite side of that, but okay, yeah, but, I, I feel it is a tight yeah. decision. And by the time this podcast is done being recorded, he'll probably have an announcement. When's the day they have to announce by the 11th? 15th. 15th? Yep. Oh, okay. Oh. Probably keep Bob around. Yeah, that, that's true. Thank God there's an adult. Uh, <laughs> last name, uh, Bears mentioning because during the uh, championship game last night, uh, so I don't know how the, where it came from originally from, but a graphic of Jalen Wilkerson declaring for the draft came out not through his social media account, but it looked an awful lot like what the Florida State you know the previous guys have had. Um, so I, I I'll, I'll say this that was not 
that was not created. That was not a hoax uh, that yeah. was created. Now, that doesn't mean that you you could just have that in your back pocket and say, I'm going to you know have it's this just in case. Uh, I believe he will declare I don't expect him back. You know, who knows? Uh, listen, I I was that that was my guy. That was one of the that was someone I said, I think. And he ended up having You're a fan club president. I, I am. He had a nice season. Um, I do wonder how he was going to fit in with, you know, what, what they're going to do up front under Barnett. Seems like they're like speedy edge guys. Uh, he's more of a big kind of hybrid type of you know tweener, um, you know, more of the hybrid to the defensive tackle. He's a, he, but but he had a really nice season. He would have given them depth. Would have given them the ability to match up against certain type of teams. Uh, if he does indeed leaving, like good luck to him. Um, I just it that's a tough. I think that's someone that would have benefited from more time and probably needed the next two years of his career to show what he could do. He only really played defensive end for one season, uh, but he's a guy who had. Uh, couple serious neck injuries in high school um so yeah you know i don't want to sit here and say oh, this is why someone's leaving or making a decision um it was not grades i saw some speculation if he does leave it's not because he has bad grades he's a smart dude and he's, he's fine there um he's making a decision i guess that's best for him and his family and, and you know uh, I, I don't know what else to say yeah, on that pressure is a hell of a thing when it comes to some of these kids making a decision yeah, and I can't. I'm not. I don't know what the rationale for the decision is, but I I do know that you know he's a smart guy with a good head on his shoulders, and I just I, good luck to him. Um, hopefully it works out if that's indeed the route he goes. We'll see. The film on him is extremely limited. You're not going to get an NFL combine invite, so you're kind of locked in with pro day and maybe getting some personal workouts. Yeah. He could turn some heads, but like you said, the injury history, and he's still a raw talent. I think he's a developmental guy. The NFL doesn't really want to develop. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys, I it, it's it's really tough. He would be one of the biggest Florida State early entry surprises that I think we've ever seen. And I'm not we we do like to do this in the moment. We mm-hmm. like to kind of overstate and be hyperbolic, but he would be one of the biggest surprises that I think we've ever seen. A guy choosing to leave early. Um, I hope a team likes him, works him out, and, and finds a spot for him. But honestly, we're looking at a guy who might not get drafted. That's that's really. Oh, I mean, I don't. I, I don't think there's a good chance for him to be drafted. I, I don't know how an NFL team would justify. Like, I mean, he could, he could be a, someone that you take on as a, you know, a practice squad type of guy, and you take a chance because, like I said, flashed at times is a really good run defender. Um, but right now, his resume is you know a guy who's really good against the run, had six tackles for loss. Um, but did that as a in a reserve role, just one career start, and and kind of that name of the game in the NFL right now is getting to the quarterback, and he hasn't shown he can do that consistently. Like he's a guy that could use another year to refine technique as a pass rusher and kind of find what works for him. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see. We're spending a lot of time talking about Jalen Wilkerson. That does hurt because they had Brian Burns on one side. I think they were going to have you know Kendo and and a nice Wilkerson kind of combination. That that caught me off guard. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so anyways, I think that's it. Do we have anything else as far as the current state of the roster we want to get to? I do expect some attrition still to happen um, based on – I got the scholarship projections right now with the guys that we know uh, that haven't declared. I'm not going to put Patrick or Wilkerson in any combination. I'm not going to put guys that we think could you know, be either be processed or graduate or leave. Right now they have 76 uh, scholarships accounted for. So what, that gives them, my God, math, nine guys to take in this, in this class, which – would be roughly kind of on what Willie Taggart was saying back on Sunday. We expected the class to be about 15 or 16. Um, so I think that's kind of where we're at right now with the roster. There's going to be a little bit more attrition, but you know, for the most part, I think you're starting to get an idea of what the 2018 team is going to look like. Um, 
with that, I'm going to let this kind of trickle off. We're going to call Josh Newberg. We will rejoin in a second. You know, if we had a sponsor or something, this would be a good time to do it, but we don't. So let's just, just, just get Josh on in a minute. All right, we got Josh Newberg joining us now. He just blew a nasty-ass loogie all over into the uh, the FaceTime here. I could hear it. Hopefully, uh, we didn't catch that on audio. So you good? You feeling all right? All right? I'm okay. Okay. All right. So in between being deathly sick, uh, you've been doing some uh, some coaching scoops and tidbits. Uh, before we get into the latest one you did on the wide receivers, which you know, people check it out on Knowles 24-7, it's good stuff on the on the possible wide receiver coach. Uh, some really good names there. But, uh, Josh, I want to get your thoughts on the Harlan Barnett defensive coordinator hire, uh, kind of how that all materialized, and just how you think that kind of fits into what Willie Taggart's trying to accomplish at Florida State. Yeah. Um, Harlan Barnett, Michigan State co-defensive coordinator. He's been there for all about 10 years. Um, he's a defensive backs coach at heart. I've uh, been co-DC there with, along with Mark Snyder for the last three years. And um, he's the he's a great hire. Obviously, he, he wasn't Willie's first choice. You know, we went through some others and Jim Levitt um, on down. Um, but Harlan Barnett is, I think, you know, I've known Harlan for a while because he's recruited Tampa. Uh, don't know him, you know, deeply personal, but been on the sidelines with him, chatted with him several, several times. And he's a very genuine person, very organized, very straight to the point. Um, Always known as a good recruiter throughout the Tampa Bay area, just through talking with coaches and kids that he recruited. Um, Never thought in a million years he'd be here at FSU. You know, just just didn't see that happening with with Jimbo in place and all that. But... uh, Harlan Barnett is uh, the next defensive coordinator at Florida State, so we'll see. We'll see what he brings to the table. Um, I, I don't. I haven't looked into him a whole lot as far as X's and O's go, but I do know um, that the negotiation process was about four or five days um, from the beginning when Harlan was contacted and he came down to, to Tallahassee. Um, I was told by someone close to him that you know he wants this job, and he's going to get this job. I think he interviewed very well from what I understand and uh, he wanted the job. So it didn't take long for him to accept the offer. And from what I'm hearing now, Harlan will coach cornerbacks, call the defense and probably have a hand in hiring both the safeties coach and the defensive ends coach moving forward. With that in mind, Josh, there's a couple, uh, what, three spots open still. Uh, we'll we'll get to wide receivers, but names that you're hearing as far as the that safeties coach and uh, defensive ends, that seems like the two logical uh, spots to fill out on defense. Uh, I imagine those those resources will be allocated there. I guess what names are you hearing? What kind of guys are they looking at? Uh, are we going to see the same Florida ties that other coaches have had, or is it going to be more X and O type of Tough guys to fit. Um, you know, this is where this kind of gets away from me, uh, the safeties and, line, and DN coach, because I'm told Harlan is going to have a big say in these hires. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not as close with Harlan on that level. So, uh, so, so not Deion Sanders. I don't see where <laughs> Deion would really fit. Yeah, in this, in this mix because. As I said in one of my insiders, um, 
you know, if Dion was going to come in, I think Dion was going to be in a situation where he coached the secondary and they hired like a walk around style defensive coordinator, maybe even a linebacker, you know, call it from the linebacking position. Mm-hmm. Um, when they brought in Harlan, and I had known for a while that Alonzo Hampton was going to be on staff. And even though, you know, people get so caught up with this special teams coordinator t- title, it's a title. It doesn't mean that Alonzo Hampton is not going to be allowed to walk over to the defensive back unit during practice. Like people think that he's got this special teams coordinator title and he has to stand with the kickers and the punters the entire practice. So you have a lot of defensive back experience just with Alonzo Hampton and Harlan Barnett. But knowing that they're going to hire a safeties coach, that just doesn't, I mean, that, that chemistry doesn't, doesn't mix with what Dion would bring. Um, so because of the way that the cards fell, I just I don't see Dion playing a role on staff. Of course, Dion is going to play a role at Florida State um, as a mentor and, and as somebody that's going to be around the program for sure. But um, the name that we're hearing at safeties is McNeese State head coach Lance Gidry. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I just I, I really don't have a great feel for what they're going to do at safety or, mm-hmm. or DNs. I put out the wide receiver coaching insider this morning on those twenty four seven, and the rest of the day I'll probably move on and try to you know solve the puzzle at those other two positions. So right, I well, can't really add too much well, to that right now. Well, let's pivot to wide receivers, something that you've written at you know, extensively mm-hmm. and seem to have a good grasp on. Um, mm-hmm. And well, for, first before that, Ron Dugans, that's done, right? Are we? Are, that operate under that assumption that that's not in play at all, correct? I, I checked out. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, only, you're, yeah. you're only willing to dedicate six to seven days to a wide receiver coach. <laughs> with, yeah, with no title. Yeah, that's all I can give. I mean, uh, you know, was, that's all my that's all my heart can give to that search. But no, but seriously, I was, I was just making making a joke. I do know Ron. Ron's a great guy, and I and – I, and I know that he struggled. I talked to a lot of people around him that were in talks with him, and it was a really tough decision for him. Um, it was hard for him to leave Tampa to go to Miami. Like He really wasn't sure if he wanted to uproot his family again after leaving Louisville for USF. He really wasn't sure if he wanted to leave USF for Miami, which on the surface is a no-brainer. Like Any of us would think, yeah, of course you leave USF for Miami. But it was really hard for him because he's got daughters that are in school and all this other stuff. So um, I, I think Willie gave him more time than maybe he deserved or maybe he should have. And I think some of that was just the optics of it all. You know, Florida State poaching a Miami coach. Um, a lot of it got public, thanks to me. And it was just, <laughs> it just was not a great look for him to miss on a coach like that. Yeah. So I think he gave him more time than maybe he would have uh, otherwise. Is, is, it, yeah. is it fair to say with, with that in mind, we were talking about that a little bit before you came on, Josh, like the, this has been a little bit of a harder process than I think Willie, maybe Willie Taggart intended, uh, or at least initially thought it was going to be, not intended, but what he initially believed it was going to be. I think he thought, oh, it's Florida State, and you know I'm going to more or less get to pick who I want to pick. The staff looks like it's in pretty good shape, but it doesn't seem like it's been smooth sailing between the defensive coordinator hiring, which ended up being okay, wide receivers and that public, you know, which I guess you, you say that's a, not a failure, but it's certainly not good with, with Dugans and how long and public and drawn out that was. It seems like it hasn't been smooth. Am I off base on, on that? It's been a little bit more difficult for him. I mean, from the get-go, I said that this was going to take time. Um, 
one of the things that we I said on a podcast a long, long, it seems like two months ago, it was probably just about four or five weeks ago. But when Willie got to Oregon, his third hire was made on January 4th. Mm-hmm. So I had said from the beginning, this was not going to be something where you just see higher, 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 higher. Um, so, but I don't even mean the timeline. I think I mean, everyone's yeah, on page with you there. Yeah, and, and I was going to, yeah. And I was going to get to that. I do agree with you to an extent. Um, one of the things with Willie moving around so much the last couple of years from Western Kentucky to USF, then to Oregon, then to FSU is he never really established like a core group of guys, like the way that Scott Frost took his entire staff with him. Yeah. Willie kind of took a couple guys to each stop. So he doesn't have like this core group that he can just pull and take from one job to another. Um, So, yeah. And then also with the just skyrocketing salaries of these coaches that are making, um, we've always said Florida has money, but they don't have, you know, FU money. Mm-hmm. So you see FSU struggle a little bit competing with the the best of the best when it comes to paying salaries. Not to say FSU doesn't have money; they just don't have it, you know, to to make it rain in the club. They can't they can't get in bidding wars for two million dollars for defensive right. coordinators. Yeah, and 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 think they're going to sign a, a staff around that. Yeah, rain in the club. Uh, all right, so wide receivers, what's the pivot? What is the next play? You mentioned a handful of names, and all honestly seem pretty darn good. Like, if that's what Florida State lands on, that's not a downgrade from Dugan's by any mean. Right. I think um, I think Mike Loxley's the primary target, and I say that because talking to sources, I believe Taggart could have a done deal with Grant Hurd or Jamarcus Shepard yesterday if he wanted to that being said i spoke to a very good source this morning uh, and um when mike loxley gets back on the back in tuscaloosa there's going to be a conversation between him and willie taggart Mm -hmm. um taggart understands what it's going to take to get mike which is co-oc at a minimum or oc and again it's it's Willie Taggart's going to call the plays, so don't get don't get that twisted. It's a title, but that's what Mike wants. That's what he needs. Otherwise, it would be a demotion to leave Alabama. However, Mike had a weird contract with Alabama. He made like three fifty, three seventy five in year one, and he made six hundred in year two, and he had a two year deal. That deal's up, and he hasn't talked to Saban about renegotiating. So it's not set in stone that he's going to make six hundred this year. Um, he's going to talk to Willie today. Uh, I expect that if it goes well for him to be in Tallahassee for maybe for a face to face, not necessarily an interview, but maybe to hammer out the details face to face. And that could happen as early as Wednesday or Thursday. Um, so that makes me believe the fact that we haven't had a hire that makes me believe that Loxley is the primary guy right now if a deal can be reached. Um, if that phone call doesn't go well or, you know, they, they don't come to an understanding, then I think Willie can turn and hire one of these other guys. And as somebody asked on the message board, is Zach Azani out? I wouldn't say Zach Azani's out. Um, I do know he's a name of interest, and he should be. You know, Willie coached with him. Again, he's not a guy that would need to come in for an interview because Willie's, um, you know, knows him. Um, and I think he could be a guy that could jump in. But the three people that I named in that in that coaching insider is who I think the 
the primary focus is on right now. So, real quick, going down the line of those guys for the people who aren't familiar, Mike Loxley, uh, his credentials, he's at Alabama currently, head coaching experience. I guess what's appealing about him to, to Willie Taggart? Mm, well, I can't speak for Willie. For Willie, but yeah, what would be, what would be appealing? Well, Mike has 15 years of experience coaching quarterbacks, mm-hmm. so he can lend a hand there. Um, he's a big-time scheme guy. The reason why he was brought into Alabama was because Nick wanted him to help Lane Kiffin with some of the fundamental no-huddle stuff that they ran at Maryland. And, you know, people – see, the, the reason why people want to label Mike as a recruiter is because he's a great recruiter. So people can't separate the fact that he's a great recruiter and a great coach. People think that you have to be one or the other for some reason. Mm-hmm. But Mike came up through this thing being a great coach. He just has a great personality. Um, he's he's from the streets of Baltimore, that DMV area, so he can get what he wants out of there. Um, he brings knowledge, the ability to recruit, um, and I think he would be the one guy on the staff right now that Willie could lean on in terms of scheme and running the offense. So. I think he'd be a huge asset to this program. And the, and the two other guys you mentioned, Grant Hurd, uh, yeah, and Marcus I'm not Shepherd. as familiar with them. So okay. just because I'm not as familiar with them doesn't take away anything. No. Um, but as far as Shepard goes, I hear he's a great up and coming coach, um, high energy. Um, the thing with him is he, he's pretty close with, with Brom mm-hmm. and he's also made a couple moves recently. He, this would be his third stop in three years. And he has a family as well, so he's kind of hesitant on, on doing that. But there are discussions being had. There are talks being had. Mm-hmm. And then with Grant Hurd, the one thing I, I was told was the dude loves recruiting the South. He was at Ole Miss for, I think, five years mm-hmm. total. Some of that overlapped with Tom Allen. And I'm told that you know he ended up at Indiana more so because he just needed a job after last season, not necessarily because he's following Tom Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, you know, I do know he has a lot of respect for Tom, and and all three of us, I think, have a lot of respect for Tom Allen because we've kind of run across him at different times. But I'm told that you know he he really does love recruiting the South, and that's kind of hard to do at Indiana to get the type of players that he is familiar with, and. If the money was right and the job was offered, then you know I, I'm I'm fairly certain Florida State could poach him. I was I was trying to before before we started recording this, I was trying to look up Hurd's background and like to see what recruiting imprint he had, and that was all over the place in the South, like Mississippi, mm-hmm. Louisiana, even up you know going to to Texas, but not a set certain area. Rather than just he's a guy that could probably give you, if you're Florida State, you know a much needed presence, you know in areas outside of you know South Georgia, and then obviously Florida. Um, so that makes sense on paper, uh, and then and then the, I'm gonna butcher his name, Josh. It's Zach as Azani. Azani. <laughs> and he and yeah, Azani. You know, Azani was with uh, the Bears, right? Man, the Bears. He was with the Bears. I think I met him when he was in Florida. I think he's been at Tennessee. He's been at Western Kentucky. Uh, that's where he crossed paths with Taggart, Western Kentucky. Um, he's a good dude. He's high energy. Uh, I just haven't heard that, you know, they're in serious discussions and I'm not saying I know everything, although I, would like to think I do. Um, so I kind of put Azani outside of those three, like I said, I could be wrong. Um, but there are a lot of dots to connect there. He would make a lot of sense. I think he'd be a good hire. 
Um, when we when we talk about position coaches like wide receiver, running back, tight end, I mean, these guys are as good as the room that they're coaching. Meaning, Mike Oxley didn't make Devontae Smith into the touchdown, you know, the game-winning touchdown maker. Devontae Smith was a five-star wide receiver for a reason. Calvin Ridley was a five-star wide receiver. Uh, these guys are, are, are great coaches, but, you know, to an extent, you're only as good as the room that you got. So from what I understand and what I've learned about all these coaches that we're talking about, I think all, all of them would do a good job at FSU as long as they have the right players. All right, let's move on to recruiting. Chris, I'll let you kind of take the lead with that. Uh, I will hop in and out while Josh is here, but I'm going to go take a leak real quick while you, uh, while you go ahead and, uh, and get us going on, on what the recruiting is going to look like for the next month. All right, it's going to be a mad dash to finish. I mean, they're obviously still trying to land a quarterback. James Foster remains the top target there. At running back, Jay Sean Corbin, a former commit, a guy that's in the mix. They haven't really pursued another running back in addition to him yet to this point. At receiver, I brought it up earlier in pod. They're evaluating a boatload of guys. I mean, I'm talking three dozen type of guys that they're at least taking a look at, taking a look at film. They got to get numbers there. They got to get people there. Antoine Green's a guy that they're still in the mix with. He likes UNC quite a bit. They're going to definitely be a major contender for him. He officially visited FSU in late December. Um, you know, there's other guys that are familiar names. And Joshua Moores, who's supposed to officially visit in January. Then there's guys like Devin Williams and Jalen Hall, who are former Oregon targets from out west, who you might see FSU try to make a run at, but it's always tough to make a run at a guy who's 3,000 miles away who you haven't had an established relationship with for that school prior to that point. Um, Tight end, they're evaluating, again, a lot of names. You know, Izzo's departure, I think, was a bit of a surprise a month ago. So there wasn't a whole lot of meat on the board. Now they're trying to figure out a few guys. I know they're evaluating film on a guy like Matt Alamo, for example. Offensive line, Greg Fry is going to definitely take a look at some of his guys. He kind of puts them in the mix with Nicholas Petit Freer. I think that's how you pronounce Petit it. Petit Freer. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, he's a guy that would be an instantaneous contributor. On the defensive side, you know, defensive end, they're probably going to have to take a look at some guys now with losing Wilkerson and what they're losing there with Sweat and him just as far as needing bodies. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of new targets, but I think you're going to see some. I don't expect many officials this weekend, but you have January 19th, 26th, and then February 2nd to get guys in before February 7th, which is National Signing Day. Um, I think the class doubles in size. It's, I believe, nine right now. I think it will be about 18 to 20 at the end of the day. Which is a little bit more than maybe Tagger had said. Yeah, but I, I think you, you say that because you're looking at numbers on a board of we have these guys, yada, yada, obviously lost some to the NFL. Yeah. Also going to lose some just to attrition. So I think it pushes a little bit more. I don't think he simply signs bodies to sign them, but they clearly need to add people. At yeah, I've been told... Receiver. Just to add to that, Chris, I've been told clearly that they want guys that can come in and help them win a national championship. If they can't land those type of players, they're more than willing to stick those scholarships in their pocket and take them to 2019. I think the only position where they simply truly have to take bodies because they need it as a receiver. Yeah, but of course they're not, yeah. The goal isn't to get bodies, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. They do need numbers at that position. Yeah, they're, they're in a predicament of simply needing to fill out a depth Yes. Card. You alluded to it earlier, Chris, but I think before Josh came on, was that if there's any position that you need to load up on numbers for without reaching too much, it's wide receivers, right? Yeah. In this class, that's which is remaining. The early signing period made this difficult for 
a new staff like Florida State, especially given how little um, little traction that was established with the previous regime. Yeah, uh, roughly seven out of every ten major kids that are going to sign D1 signed. So you're now dealing with the remaining 30 35% that's out there. Mm-hmm. And there are some positions where there's more than others. But you're going to see some kids that are, you know, before your early signing period were thought of as kind of mid-major AAC-type kids. All of a sudden they're going to become high-major kids because there's a lack of availability at the position in a lot of schools that still have a need. So that's going to be the interesting thing. I think you're going to see a lot of kids that visit schools those last two weekends who weren't on the radar of those schools before, maybe a week before those last two weekends. Mm-hmm. And FSU's, you know, right in the thick of that because they were kind of put in bad position. I mean, I, I think the best thing that Willie did, obviously, other than getting Jaden Woodbay to jump in the fold, was that he kind of trimmed down the class and figured out what he wanted, what he didn't want, and identified the targets they were going to re-pursue. Quickly, Other than Chaz Neal, there's not really any fat on the bone right now that they need to get rid of. We still Do so, we know that Chaz Neal? I'd be him? shocked if they signed him. Um, you know, He's a kid that keeps a really low profile. Josh actually saw him when he went to Isaiah Bolden saying, I think he told Josh he was yeah. going to take a few officials. Okay. But I'd just be surprised if FSU signed him at this point. And the only reason I think they would, I don't know. He's the I, definition of just taking a body to take a body. And, and he's cousins with Evan Neal at IMG. I mean, Evan, don't get me wrong, Evan's a, Evan's a really good player. Um, I don't think he's a left tackle. I think he's probably a guard at the next level. He is good. I just don't know if he's a guy that you're going to keep Chaz Neal for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, if Evan Neal wants to commit then and there with Chaz Neal, maybe you, right. maybe you go ahead and make that package. But, uh, I, no. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you need to walk from Chaz Neal. Chaz Neal is a guy that two to three years from now we're going to be talking about needing to be processed. They're going to need some bodies to load on. They're not going for bodies, but defensive ends looking a little bit thinner than maybe initially expected to with yeah. Wilkerson. And, and, you know, I've done a lot of, uh, in the last like week, I've looked at a lot of guys who haven't signed both in the high school and the JUCO ranks. And, you know, I've not dived into defensive end. I have at offensive tackle. I have at wide receiver. I already did at quarterback, and that's a position there's not a whole lot out there for. But DN's one that I need to take a look at and see what's there. I know there's a few guys. Are you typing uh, extra loud on purpose? <laughs> no, I just that's just how I type. I type very confidently. With, 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 angry both, with both index fingers and that's it? It's not angry. It's just confident. <laughs> but, I mean, as of right now, we don't have any officials on the docket for the 12th. That could change, but I don't think they're in a rush to bring guys in before yeah. they have the whole staff. I think the 19th will be your first big visit weekend of January, and I think you'll see a lot of kids the 19th and the 26th. Um, right now for the 19th, we have Jamarcus Chapman and Joshua Moore on the docket. For the 26th, Dennis Briggs, Christian Meadows, who firmed up last night and is done with the process. He's scheduled for the second, but he might change weekends. Jesus, Josh. Where do you live? Uh, downtown. Hold on, I'll mute. There you go. But yeah, there's not much else with regards to recruiting. I mean, it's going to be a mad dash. You got to get the staff in. You evaluate the board. You have that meeting. You figure out yes or no on this guy. You call and see if you can put a hook in the water and if the fish might bite. When's the latest? Do you think people are asking us? And I don't know if you can give an exact answer, but you need to get that staff completely. I think in it would place be beneficial. With- you know, next Monday to be ready to hit the road. Everybody in tow. Signed and yeah. ready where to... You, where you can walk into a receiver's house and tell him, hey, this is your offense coordinator. Obviously, I'm Willie. I'm going to be the guy that calls plays. This is your wide receiver coach. Yeah, 
I'm Willie. This should be a t-shirt. Just, I'm, I'm, Willie. I'm, I'm Willie. But I, I think Monday is a pretty important day for that All right. pretty perspective. I, you know, the dead period opens up the 11th. I don't think this weekend's as crucial. Yeah. I think it's more so Monday. You hit the ground running. Some kids are going to come off the board this weekend, but those kids were always going to go probably mm-hmm. to the school they're visiting this weekend. Like, it's kind of this weekend to me is a kid that, hey, we should have signed him in the early period. We didn't. Let's try to close the deal. No, that makes sense because – as long as you have like a blueprint blueprint in place right now, like they have the defensive core, like that's huge. Like it was probably tough to get guys in the early signing period, some of them that they were trying to go after without having that completely uh, firmed up. Meadows didn't sign in the early period because they didn't have an off a link coach. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, he, he talked to Greg, and that's mm-hmm. when he shut it down. And he he said he told me with a quote that you know he always knew it was going to be FSU, but he needed that certain level of you know satisfaction and knowing who. You wanted a competent coach in yeah. place and someone that just... People, people are like, why is Antoine Green slipping? Well, hell, he doesn't know who his receiver coach coaches, is. Yeah. He has a really good relationship with the receiver coach at North Carolina, and he currently has a non-existent one with the guy at FSU. That, because that one doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, that is how it is. Yeah. Kids try to say it's not about relationships. A lot of times, it's about it relationships. Is. It makes sense. Anything you do in life is basically what makes you feel comfortable. Well, not with the motivating factors. I, I think the class will but... be good. I don't think it will be great. It's um, not. It was never going to be. It's oh. a difficult task, and the early signing period made it even more difficult than normal. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of screwed by their predecessors here, who did a piss poor job of recruiting over the final sixty days of their. I mean, they didn't. They didn't recruit here. in their final and, <laughs> sixty you know, days. You're gonna have to make chicken salad out of some. You know what? So it is what it is. I think they'll land some big ones that we don't expect as of today. But yeah, I don't expect the class to be exceptional. But I do think they'll meet a lot of needs. And I think receiver is a position where they're going to be able to kind of show some of their muscle at their ability to recruit. That they're going to pull a kid that we wholeheartedly don't expect that, as of today. That, and that's probably where I think people are expecting if they're going to make a couple more splashes. I and mean, if you do that, you win favor. I mean, Jaden would be yeah. one of them favor yep. in the early period. They went and got a kid who was begging for an FSU offer mm-hmm. and signed him, and he's one of the better safeties in the nation. Mm-hmm. And he's now on campus enrolled and. You know, got his FSU card, so looked good in the in the All Star game over the yep. weekend. Interception, he knows what he is. Yep. He knows what he's doing. Yep. So. All right, so we're at a one hour and thirteen minutes. I think yeah. that may be a record. Josh, welcome back. We're also going to say goodbye now. I'm going to let Chris sign off because he always does a better job at this than I do. I kind of sputter and get nervous. As you are right now. Yes, yep. exactly. Early next week, hopefully, we can talk about a completed staff. We'll also dive more into recruiting. Things are going to clear up a little bit as the dead period comes to an end. We're chasing on when kids are visiting, things of that sort. So we'll have more to talk about, more to report on that. And that's just where we'll go next time. But we appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.